I am Joshua Hale Fialkov. I was the writer of Spider-Man Who Am I and Alpha, and you are listening to the amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon. They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazin, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Ginocchio. Yes, you finally have someone responding to you, Dan. Yes, I do. I'm not just talking to myself into the void, lonely, in my living room with a microphone and a computer. Well, I, I can't speak to your emotional state, but I can tell you it, it was a little awkward. A little what, awkward. Was it? Was it? Yeah, it's just a little bit, you know, but but it's okay. I'm here. I'm back. If you don't know who I am, I'm the editor and founder of the Chasing Amazing blog, and now I am a writer, editor, and contributor and all that stuff at superiorspidertalk.com. I'll tell you, Mark, just recording on my own the few times that I've done that for the show, it, it's always very strange, and it always – I mean it has to be kind of scripted. Otherwise, I feel like I just ramble on, which – I'm sure listeners are used to in general, but uh, but yeah, uh, it gave me a lot of respect for people that every time I do it, that for people that do their shows on their own and still manage to sound like authentic and spontaneous. Well, Dan, it's good to know that I have job security. <laughs> yes, you do, Mark. Yes, you do. Well, speaking of scripts, of course, thank you guys for joining us for this special episode of Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans, this time it's two fans, and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. I do enjoy that Like one of your big script changes is to be like, a fan... Uh, <laughs> really going off script there it's like wow he he reached for that one i did uh, well dan even though i'm here uh what we're about to be listening to is going to be uh more of your handiwork uh because this is uh, a special spider talk in their amazing friends episode uh from your uh very uh well it was only a weekend excursion at long beach comic-con but the, the amount of content we've yielded from it makes it seems like it went on forever there's more to come, even. <laughs> um, but yes, so uh, so so Dan, uh, we we've already heard from Len Wein and and Joe Kelly and Stuart. Uh, I can never say his last name. Imminent. Yes, you got it. And and Catherine, right? Imminent. Yes, absolutely. Um, so who do we got this time? Well, this time we've got an interview with uh, Joshua Hale Fialka. We got to pronounce his full name. Uh, and he was a writer from one of the backup stories from Amazing Spider-Man 692. He also wrote the interactive infinite comic Amazing Spider-Man Who Am I and the limited alpha miniseries from a few years ago um, that kind of went down in infamy. Um, but Well, I was, I was going to say, Dan, so I mean what, what, what should we get hyped up about with a guy who's – 
you know, experience has to, you know, is primarily with a character that not a lot of people uh, love. Uh, tell me, why should we care about this interview? Well, that, I think that's kind of exactly why you should be interested in this interview before you turn this podcast off saying, oh, I hate Alpha. Um, <laughs> He kind of gives us a lot of information about where that character came from and what the intention was and um, what it was like kind of being a new writer for Marvel and, and being brought into these projects. And I think you'll find it – I don't want to reveal anything yet, but I think you're going to find it a bit more interesting than maybe you suspect. Also, you know, the interesting thing about working with you know, an infinite comic in that kind of motion comics format is really interesting. But even more so is that um, – you know, uh, Fialkov left Marvel and DC to pursue his own creative work uh, outside of the big two uh, and has been very successful in that realm. And this is a model that we're seeing with a lot of writers. You know, we're launching this all new, all different Marvel next week with our amazing Spider-Man number one coverage. But, uh, you know, noticeably absent were a lot of the big writers that formed the backbone of Marvel's. Uh, you know, writing staples. So I, I asked Josh about that, um, about, you know, what it means to be independent, writing for independent comics now and, and how Marvel could maybe attract some of these writers back to the industry or back to the big two. So, um, that I thought was really interesting and a refreshing look at, you know, what, like what it's like, you know, to work outside of Marvel and DC. All right, sounds sounds like a lot of fun. I can't I can't wait to listen to it, even though you're hearing me talk about it while you're listening to it. So um, put that on for size, people. <laughs> yeah, it'll surprise <laughs> even Mark. Yeah, <laughs> I have to say uh, another thank you both to Kyle and Amy for joining me at the Long Beach Comic Con. But a special thanks goes to Kyle for this interview because there were only two chairs and. Uh, Fialkov wanted to sit down for the interview, so I joined him sitting, and Kyle had the awkward uh, 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 experience of holding the microphone aloft for like half an hour using great arm strength, so I have to give him credit. He was our mic guy, and uh, and I think I put him through the ringer, so uh, Kyle gets wow. a special shout-out uh, uh, during this this recording. That is that is impressive, Dan. That's some feats of strength right there. Yeah, really, it is. Uh, he, should, he should get a, a, a career working as a sound guy. But uh, anyway, speaking of sounds, of course, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. Mark, I have to say uh, about this. Uh, I, you know, Apple just changed their podcasting app, and I think that it has done away with the links to the articles. So if you hear that, <laughs> and the and there is no article, I assure you that the articles will be in the show notes, so you can go check them out there. Uh, so uh, this might be the last time you hear me say this disclaimer about the sounds. Uh, it seems that I have been, I have, I am doing this on a more technical level than iTunes or Apple ever intended. Dan, Dan, I feel like we have these conversations like every six months or so. Apple Apple just loves to to do things that don't let our show run smoothly. Well, I'll tell you, our, all of our episodes are back, which is great, but then they did this to me. So what are you yeah. going to do? So, uh, yeah, you win some, you lose some, but you mostly lose some. But yeah. hey – but the show is free. What I'm trying to say is if the links go away, it's not because I'm lazy. It's because I just 
physically cannot do it anymore. <laughs> anyway, right, well, before we belabor this to point it. too long, let's get to our interview with Joshua Hale Fialkov. Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. So this is Dan Gavazin with Amazing Spider Talk here at the Long Beach Comic Con, and I'm joined by... I'm Joshua Hale Fialkov. Um, I'm the writer of Independent Comics, The Bunker, and The Life After, and King. Um, and I also wrote The Amazing Spider-Man, Who Am I? Uh, I wrote... What else? What else did I, I wrote Alpha at Marvel, and I wrote uh, the, the little kid story in Amazing Spider-Man 692. Absolutely. So uh, before we get into talking about all those things, I want to talk about your history with the Spider-Man character. I mean, I've seen pictures of your office online. It's just full of Marvel stuff and, and all kinds of great artwork and comics. Was Spider-Man a favorite of yours growing up? or I was actually a, I was a DC kid um, for most of the time. I always loved, I loved Batman and Superman and all that stuff. Um, but then I came to Spider-Man. I fell in love with the Fantastic Four when I was a kid. And so I sort of came to Spider-Man as, like, an adjacent character rather than as his own character. And I always liked the idea that, like, what made Spider-Man great was not the spider powers, but Peter underneath. Like, Peter being... Like, the reason why he was sort of Fantastic Four adjacent was not that he was a superhero, but that he was so smart and that he was so talented. Like, all the spider stuff just sort of, like, bolstered that, but that he was always... Inside, he was always someone more important. Great. Um, so your first Spider-Man story was uh, that I could find was the backup in Amazing 692. Yes. And um, the 50th anniversary issue. So uh, can you speak to how this happened and what it's like to have a story in such a landmark issue that we're still bothering you about it years yeah. later? No, it was weird. I wrote it, like, I just wrote it as a, it was an inventory story. So what happens is when you're, like, I had been doing independent comics for a long time, um, and uh, they wanted me to do, like, essentially a tryout story. And so when they when they hired me, the thing thing about inventory stories is that you um, they never know when they're going to run, right? So you want the thing to like be usable whenever. So the so the, what I was told is like you can write. We want you to do a Spider-Man story. Uh, you can't use any of the supervillains because we're not sure what's going on with the supervillains. Because that was right before like I think probably what was the event that was going on? Superior Spider-Man. Was Maybe it was like around Superior. Yeah, it was somewhere around there. So you couldn't use any villains, and then. Uh, we weren't sure whether he was going to be married to Mary Jane or not. Like, all that stuff, all, you know, so you can't do that. Uh, and he's not going to be working at the paper anymore, so don't do the paper. Uh, don't use um, don't use Aunt May. But, like, it was literally like, don't use anything other than Spider-Man. Um, and so it was like, which is a really fun, it sounds sort of weird, but it's like a great challenge because you get to look at who the character is and, like, what makes him great, you know, and so I thought doing a story that was literally just about a crappy day, like, what is it like to be Spider-Man when you have to live with the real world and the responsibilities of living in the real world? So that story, Just Right, uh, being the title, um, it, it was partnered with this alpha introduction story that was, like, very much blown up. People, like, really 
told to look towards the Alpha as his, as his, his new sidekick, you know? And meanwhile, you've got a story about Spider-Man with a, kind of a sidekick in this right. kid, and I thought that was really kind of the almost even more heartening story. What was uh, uh, of, of the issue? And uh, and so, it was to me, it was interesting that there was these two parallel stories about this. What I guess my question is, a lot of that was really brought to life by Nuno Plotti's art. Um, right. What was it like working with him uh, on the story? I love, so Nuno and I, we did a, um, we did a Jean Grey Marvel Girl one shot like a year before this probably he's one of my favorite artists in comics his stuff is like it's unique looking like it doesn't look like anyone else but he still has like there's so much heart and so much like feel where like everyone feels real like that little kid feels like a real little kid like they all feel like real people and even like the weight he gives Spider-Man's body like Spider-Man feels how Spider-Man would feel that he's sort of lanky and thin and you know like he 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 really captures how how he moves and how energetic it is. So like getting to work with him both on that story and then on on Alpha right afterwards was just amazing. He's he's one of my favorite people. He's just super kind and works his ba- works his ass off. Like he's he's great. I know he's doing he's done a bunch more. Like he's done some of the Spider-Man animated stuff, I think, right? Like yeah. he's done a bunch of stuff since then. Um, guys unbelievably talented. I'm surprised we haven't seen him back on the amazing book uh, you know in, in any form because it was just such a wonderful fit and the coloring and stuff really made it such a fun story. But uh, what do you think makes for a good Spider-Man story? I think that you know like we spend a lot of time in comics fascinated by plot, right? Everything like when you read any of the big event books or any of these big giant stories like they're always so plot driven. What makes, and I'm going to use Dan as the example, like what makes Dan Slott and his run on that book so incredible is he only cares about the character. Like the plot stuff is the plot stuff that's happening. And it's, okay, you want, okay, we'll do an event. Like, so we have this big event. But what really matters is what's Peter's journey. You know, and even the way that he, when it became superior and it was Doc Ock, like that's, it was a character journey. Like it wasn't about, the reason why you can do a mind swap story, the reason why you can do Freaky Friday and have it not suck is that it was about the character, and it was about, like, what does it mean to the character to now be in this situation and be in and this And a position. reflection of Peter Parker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, like, and you see, you know, like, it's always about what makes, again, like, what makes Peter Parker special is not the spider bite, it's Peter Parker. It's all the things, just like with Superman, like, that's Superman's, Superman's superpowers are, don't matter. What matters is empathy, is that he has, like, because of his powers, because of who he is, empathy is just natural to him. And I think Spider-Man has a lot of the same thing because Spider-Man doesn't come from... He doesn't come from greatness. He comes from meekness. And, like, he can never escape the fact that, you know, he knows what it's like to be bullied. He knows what it's like to be the little guy, you know? Yeah. So, um, you after th- that story, you were kind of put in... I don't know if it was an awkward position, but um, you wrote this Alpha Big Time series, and amongst a certain group of fans, it was like... Alpha was a pretty reviled character, and uh, I thought that this story really redeemed Alpha in a, in a lot of ways, and especially like the early issues, I really like. I was like, wow, this is a new character, and I really love him, um, and I want to read more about him. But there was kind of this pushback on like online to the story that was probably not justified. Like, uh, um, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, can you speak to what it was like to write that story and and the intention behind behind yeah. it? Yeah. No, you know, it's funny. 
your job as a writer is to make people feel things, right? And so Dan's job writing that story was to make people hate Alpha. Yeah, and it, but and he did it really that. well. <laughs> he did it so well that people really hated the character. Um, and like, I wanted to do like what what the the pitch for Big Time was like. What does that mean? Like, when you're a kid, when you're Justin Bieber and everyone hates you, it's pretty easy to cope with because you're also Justin Bieber. Right? Like, you're also really rich. You also have girls throwing themselves at you. You have everything you could ever want. So the fact that everybody thinks you're a douchebag doesn't actually touch you. You know? Like, it might hurt a little. But to have been a Justin Bieber and to have been this huge douchebag that everybody hated, who then has to go back to being a regular kid, like, that's awful. Like, it's, that's, that's a terrible feeling that I think, again, we all sort of, like, we all understand what it's like to, like, want to be special. But we also understand that part of being made special is taking the risk of being judged. You know, so I think that was, like, that was my pitch for the story. It was, like, we do a story about how people hate him and how, like, everybody thinks he's a joke and that he sucks. And he's still a teenager. And he's a teenager with the power of a god who everybody thinks is a total tool. It, it, it's tough to, like, be the writer uh, telling that story because so many people read that earlier issues and think, now this has to be a cash grab from Marvel, right. you know, because but none got, of us like him, you know? bad news. Uh, every single thing Marvel right. publishes is a cash grab because they're a business. Yeah. Like, they don't publish anything. Like, they're not publishing Spider-Gwen out of the kindness of their heart. They're publishing it because those books sold a fortune. And people were like, oh, we really like this thing, which then makes them print more of them. Like, it's... You know, they're a business, they have shareholders. Like, that's that's the difference between indie comics and mainstream comics. And, and it's not a bad difference. Like, commerce is a huge part of the world and a huge part of... We, we create commercial art. Like, as a comic book writer, we are making commercial art. And that means art that is meant to be sold. So, like, you, you, you do that stuff. The trick is to make the commercial art better than that, right? Like, you can just do, you know, Hostess Cupcake ads... Or you can make the funniest, most awesome hostess cupcake ad you can make. Yeah. So you worked with uh, Nuno Plati again on that story. Do you have any plans on working with him again in the future? We'd I'd love to find something for us to do. I'm just I'm like unbelievably busy right now, as is he. So it's it's one of those things where like we, when you work with people, when you work with people that you like, like you always try to find ways to come back together. So yeah, I would like I would in a heartbeat I'll go back to working with Nuno. I'm really looking forward to that maybe eventual future. Um, so you had another opportunity with um, Spider-Man Who Am I, one of the few Infinite comics that Marvel published. Um, what was it like working uh, with the Infinite comic format, and do you think that the format has a future in comics or just really an experiment? I don't know. I have no idea how, like, I'm a digital comics, uh, I'm like a digital comics um, I'm not going to say pioneer, but pioneer. Like, I did the first original graphic novel on the Amazon Kindle. Um, my book, The Bunker, uh, now published by Oni Press, was, initi- was initially one of the Comixology Submit's first titles. Like, we were, our five chapters were five of the top ten digital indie comics released that year. So, like, I'm all about digital comics and how they have a reach that regular comics don't have. Um, I think that Marvel, like Marvel, by doing it and by going out of their way to make comics that feel specifically made for the reader and for the the medium that you're reading them in, I think is really smart. I think when you look at, like Mark Wade did one. Mark Wade is so smart; it irritates me. He did one. It was in the back of like Avengers vs X Men. 
Is that what that book was called? Where the Phoenix Force, where the X-Men all got the Phoenix Force? Yeah, yeah. AVX. Yeah, AVX, yeah. It was in the back of AVX, and it was uh, Scott Summers on the moon talking to Jean Grey. And it's really, and like, and it's, Scott has used the Phoenix powers to essentially make Jean Grey out of dust. And it is, because of the medium, when you read it in this infinite format, like, it is so compelling. And you read the printed one, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's good. But you read the digital one, and you're like, holy shit, like, that is a con- like that is a story. And it's just made more powerful by the medium. I think that it's incredibly hard to do that. I think that a lot of our brains in comics are wired now for the six-panel grid or the two-page splash, like, all those things that you kind of constantly have an awkward time with like even doing digital comics now when you if you do a traditional comic when it shows up on comiXology the two-page spread suck they don't work anymore because they turn right they're, they're facing the wrong way and they're now so instead of being big and like filled with action they're now tiny yeah like they don't so it doesn't work and that's like that's one of the unfortunate side effects but we all have to learn how to retell stories using the new medium and what works and what doesn't it was an interesting time to release this book because it was right when Superior Spider-Man was wrapping up. Right. And it was like the first Peter Parker Spider-Man we'd seen in a while. So um, a lot of fans were looking towards this book in terms of maybe finding answers to who this new Peter uh, Parker was. Right. Um, so like, what was it right, like writing the book around that time? Were there things you couldn't not couldn't do? or? Yeah, like because they hadn't... Like, I knew, because I wrote Alpha, I had known everything that was going on, and Dan and I are friends, so, like, I knew Peter Parker was coming back. But they also wanted it to be somewhat of a continuity-free story. So I think that was just, like, awkward timing. Just They wanted as many, because Spider-Man was getting a huge push, so it was like, let's get as many Spider-Man things out as humanly possible. Um, but, yeah, like, mine was always supposed to be Peter and not Doc Ock. Like, none of that stuff. And it had a weird memory, like, yeah, thing about it. Weird. So people thought, oh, he must weird come timing. back with no memory. Yeah, yeah, weird timing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what was going on internally. But, but like, I'm super happy I got to do it, and I think it turned out really fun. Um, it's Juan Bobillo, who I'm a huge fan of. Like, his run on She-Hulk with Dan is, like, amazing beyond words. So I was super excited to get to work with them and, and uh, with uh, JL Mast and uh, Jaffo, who did all the Infinite stuff. Like, they're just they're incredible. Like, they, they really took... They took this weird script that I wrote and made it totally work. Um, it's nice. Like, it's it's one of the most collaborative mainstream comics I've ever done because all of us were sort of bringing these different elements together to make it into to make it into what it was. Um, I remember the exact tweet where you announced that you were no longer going to be working with Marvel and and, um, and you were all working on Ultimate FF at the time, right. doing that crazy alternate universe thing. That was a lot of fun. Oh, uh, the animals. <laughs> um, and what was it, Miles Morehamis? Miles Morehamis. That was Mark Panicia, our editor. That was his joke. Okay. I like it. I'm not, I mean, I love that joke, but I don't want to take credit for someone else's amazing joke. <laughs> Well, this seems to be like an increasingly common thing with Marvel. Like we've got this new relaunch going on, and a lot of the big names that people love are no longer returning, and they're going to do their creator-owned work, just like you have. Right. Um, can you speak to this like notion, and uh, I guess your personal reason for leaving the big big two behind? Um, well, DC ran me out on a rail, so I just can't work at DC anymore. But uh, Marvel, I like I didn't leave on bad terms. Like I love those guys. I love working there. I love getting to write those characters. But it was also just sort of time for me to take a break from it. Like, I had done three years at DC and two years at Marvel, 
And I got into comics to tell my own stories. Like, comics was always about passion for me and the things that I wanted to do. And I love those characters, and I love writing those characters, but I really love my own books, like, the stuff that I'm doing. Um, and so, you know, getting... It was just sort of time for me to take a step back. Um, I also work in television, so I had, I had sold a pilot that year, and, like, so we just... It was one of those things where it was like, I actually can afford to work on me right now. Like, I can afford to invest in me and my future. Um... And it was, you know, and it's like, I'm, you know, I'm on staff on a TV show right now, and it's great, and I love it, but it's the thing is, like, that's what pays the bills, which means, once again, like, I get to do comics because I love them, instead of, like, oh, God, I have to pay my mortgage, um, which is, like, one of the realities is that it's a job, you know, it's a job that you're doing, and just by nature of working for a giant conglomerate, they want you to do things that sometimes you disagree with, and, like, that's the job, you do it. And if you don't do it, you quit. Like, that's it. Like, those are your options. I think for everybody else, you know, like, the image the image revolution and, like, the, 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 the kind of the push of publishers, you know, from, from where I published at Oni um, to Dark Horse um, to Boom, like, all these companies, Valiant even, they're offering a place where people can tell the type of stories they want to tell with no interference. You know, so there's no... And again, like, interference sounds like a negative word. Um, but it's not like it's them protecting their brands like and it's something where when I was at DC I would have to kind of constantly argue for the brand instead of because they would want to do things that were destructive to the characters and I was like no like this is the value of your character like understand that this is the value of your character you know like and I get that like my job when you're doing work for hire your job is to make the characters look good not to make yourself look good so even like with Dan to use the example with Alpha right like Dan takes all the brunt for creating a character who was creative very effectively because it got the net result of what he was set out to do, which was to make a character that people hated. You know, like, he, like, so... And then you have people sort of, like, as people attack you, especially when you work at the Big Two, it's very, it's like a totally... It's as though you're a robot because people talk to you. Like, when I did Ultimate FF, there was a guy who just proceeded to, like... He wrote reviews and tweeted to me and like Google Plus messaged me this review where he was like you are terrible and I hate you and I hate you for what you have done to the Fantastic Four and I'm like I, do you think my pitch was write a book not starring the Fantastic Four stalling, starring the called Fantastic Four you know like no of course not like that is what Marvel wanted and I have a kid and a mortgage and I want to do you know it's what I do I write comics so you find how to tell those stories in the best way you can. I think now because you can go and make a living doing other stuff in comics, which wasn't true for a long time, like now because you can go off and sort of make your own make your own meal, um, it's much less appealing to go and work at the big two for everybody. And I get, and I like I said I get it. I love it. I'm sure I will go back to Marvel and do more Marvel work, you know, sooner than later. Um, but again, it's something that it's it's the difference between doing it because you have to and doing it because it's a choice. What do you think Marvel is, I mean, on your, just from your opinion, what would they have to do, you think, to really maintain these writers long term? There's few that stay, like Dan has been there for quite a while. Right. But, you know, um, you, you've got really a lot of big names just disappearing, and I, I'm wondering, like, is the tide turning? What would they need to do to counter that? I think it's tough. Like, when, the, the fact is, when you do a book at an indie publisher, you're making way more money now. That's like, you're, you're making, because you're making the profits. And, you know, when you work at Marvel, you get paid your page rate, which is, again, terrific. 
but like the money you're making is is on the back end is pretty minuscule and like whereas I can live off the royalties I make on my own books when the royalties I get from my Marvel and DC books are you know it's a I can buy groceries that week or whatever. Especially you know, like if you it, sell it to a movie studio or a television network. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, I made more money not working for Marvel and DC last year than I made working for Marvel and DC for five years just by working for myself. So, like, I love the characters, but I also love my family, and I love, you know, having a lifestyle that's comfortable, you know. And I, But, like, that being said, like, these characters are super important. Like, they really are. Like, they serve an important purpose. And I think we've, as a market, we've sort of wandered away from that. And I think we're seeing it a little, like, Miss Marvel is a great example of that's a character that's reaching an underserved market, right? It's reaching women. It's reaching people of color. It's reaching out to people. And it's a book that is all ages friendly, that anybody can read and anybody can enjoy while still being about something and still being something mature, as opposed to, you know, arms getting ripped off and heads getting ripped off and, like, rape and murder. Like, all that stuff, like, it services the existing audience of guys my age, of white guys who are 35, but that's a dying audience. Like, we lose interest because we have families, you know? Like, so you, you have to be appealing to younger people and people who haven't been comic readers and I think once they start doing that, as you've seen, like, as they spread their arms, Batgirl at DC is the same thing, right? Like, they spread their arms, and you find out, like, oh, there's actually people who want to hug me, you know? But you have to do it in a responsible way. Yeah, I mean, like, half their, like, almost half their line is relaunching with, like, women-led characters, and it's really refreshing. But our final question we ask everybody that we have on the show who's worked on the Spider-Man books is, what does it mean to you that you've uh, been able to write for a character like Spider-Man? Oh, it's, no, it's awesome. Like, it feels so good. Like, every time you write a character that you loved as a kid, it tickles, like, a part of your brain that is, you know, indescribable, that's beyond money, beyond career, all that stuff. Because it's like, look, I know how Peter Parker talks. Like, I made Peter Parker say things, and he said them right. Like, and he said them, and it sounded like him. And I made him say a Gilmore Girls joke in one of my books. So, like, <laughs> I'm pretty much, like, that's it. I'm good. Um, you know, it's it means a lot to me. It's nice that, like, you know when my kid plays with Spider-Man toys like she knows like I wrote Spider-Man like she knows that I was one of the people who helped bring this important thing into the world so great well thank you so much for being on our show and for your time of course thanks for having me guys Spider-Man and his amazing friend well golly Dan I mean you know I was you kind of got me really anticipating this and then i just heard it and whoo let me tell you whoo mark what was your favorite part oh i can't even pick i mean it's the whole thing every minute of it all the minutes of it what was there a specific thing that he said that you can highlight enjoying um i enjoyed him saying and but Spider-Man, Alpha, you know, those parts. I'm getting, I'm getting the sneaking suspicion, Mark, that, uh, that you haven't listened to the interview yet. What are you talking about? What, if I, have I said anything that's inaccurate yet? Technically, no. And the defense rests. Yes, it does. So uh, 
I guess I will say that I want to thank Joshua Helfialkov for joining us on the show and taking time out of his busy convention schedule to talk to me for such an awesome interview. Of course, you can check out some of his other stuff. I bought a couple books from him. I bought his new series, The Bunker, which I'm loving. So I, I highly recommend that you check out his book, The Bunker. But in terms of checking things out, of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. We've got 87 episodes now, Mark. We're getting closer to that 100 mark. Oh, my goodness. 87. So we're, we're, we're well into the Romita years. Um, I think uh, issue 87, was that the Electro TV studio issue? No, no, no. This was uh, this was a few issues before Captain Stacy's death, where Peter uh, tries to admit to his friends that he's actually Spider-Man, and then convinces them he's crazy. Ah, yes, of course, uh, that old chestnut. <laughs> Classic Peter. <laughs> yeah, so we're at eighty-seven episodes, uh, but we're only at eighty-nine reviews, and I'd love to get us to one hundred. So, if you do look us up online, please be sure to leave us a sh- review on iTunes. Uh, I'd love to get again to 100, and, and like you know, these reviews mean a lot to us. They help us grow our audience, and that only results in better things for the show's content. So, the 11 of you out there that haven't reviewed our show, I know you exist. Go on iTunes and leave us a nice review. Yeah, and also be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages at facebook.com/superiorspidertalk and facebook.com/chaseandamazing. Uh, these are great places to keep up with us in between shows. Read articles that we've written, breaking news, um, stories about Alpha that I'm sure we talked about on this podcast, you know, things like that. Awesome. Well, as always, if you want to follow the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales, who should be rebooting their books really soon, so we're going to get some new episodes, you can follow our sister podcast, The Awesome, The Ultimate Spin, hosted by Brian, Kyle, and Noor. Yeah, and as always, our theme song is courtesy of Rylan Bojack, and our outro song comes from Magic. And as always, our artwork comes from Nick Cagnetti, Ray Sumzer, Ron Friends, and Sal Busema, so thanks to them. Mark, we kind of have an interesting dilemma coming up on our next episode of our show. We're going to be covering Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 1. Does that mean we're going to have a new Number 1 for Amazing Spider-Talk? Yeah, or maybe maybe we need to rename the entire show to like the all new, all great, amazing Spider Talk or something. I mean, you know, we'll, um, we'll do all new, all different, and both of all us new, will be all gone. Different. Yeah, yes. I'll be living in New York, and you'll be living in L.A. There you go, and I'll be a, a multimillionaire flying around the country, enjoying my millions. That is certainly not what I'm doing right now. No, <laughs> if that's your implication. But you are with a redhead. So, I, I am um, with a redhead, but you are you're, too. You're, so you're you are uh, poor and with a redhead, and um, you sound like Tony Stark, the new Tony Stark. Mark, <laughs> where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Superior Spider Talk, where uh, we're getting towards the end of our Clone Saga callback. Yeah, Dan. Uh, we just got one or two little arcs left before I'm going to call this one quits for now because uh, that's technically where the Clone Saga ends and where Spider-Ben picks up. So um not really in the mood to talk Spider-Ben. Is that a, is that a good excuse? You're the editor-in-chief of the site. Can I, can I use that as why I'm not going to write about those issues? I'm not in the mood. 
I'll accept it because only because I know what you're doing next, and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, well, you know, I've, I'm 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 going from one um, infamous era of comics to another one. We're gonna we're gonna f- uh, kind of coincide with the new volume four. And go back to the day where Amazing Spider-Man rebooted for the first time. That's right, folks. I am revisiting the Mackie Byrne reboot. Uh, we're going to go through all the arcs and, and break it down and talk about where they kind of tie in and where they don't. And uh, this should be interesting, maybe? It's definitely going to be interesting. And, I, and it's going to help me remember those issues. I tell you, if I'm foggiest about anything in Spider-Man world it's that reboot era yes it, it, it was definitely you know well yeah uh <laughs> it was something but um we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go through that and you know hope hope it's as much fun to read as it will be to kind of research and write about uh and of course you could also find me on twitter at chasing asm blog you know don't be offended if in addition to comic book stuff i I talk a bunch about Mets baseball over the next few weeks. They're in the playoffs, Dan. That never happens. So uh, I know because you've been attacking me at every opportunity whenever I do anything remotely baseball related that doesn't have to do with the Mets. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I need this. I needed this moment, Dan. So anywho, but where can we find you, Dan? Of course, you can go to SuperiorSpiderTalk.com to see all the awesome Spider-Man stuff that we're doing there. And you can follow me on Twitter at at Sup Spider Talk or at Dan Gavazdin. I typically write about movies and things like that or any kind of weird political things that I'm thinking about. Um, but yeah, so you can follow me there and you can read my reviews of movies on grindmyreels.com. I just put a review up of The Martian, the new Matt Damon movie that comes out the same day as this podcast. So uh, you can check out that review there. Matt Damon. <laughs> Mark, uh, the other day I, I joined the Big Brother program here in Los Angeles. Uh, oh, good for you! Yeah, yeah, it was a great experience. Except uh, for the kid, the kid that I got to mentor turns out he was kind of an enormous jerk. This big ego maniac uh, kind of reminded me of a, a presidential hopeful. Uh, oh. But wow. uh, anyway, uh, when I asked the Big Brother program why they gave me a kid that was so intent on furthering his own ego, they said, uh, well, that was always our intent, that you would hate him. I was kind of shocked, and so I asked what happened to the previous Big Brother to this kid, and they told me that he had died. Oh, my. Right. I know. I, w- I couldn't believe it. Uh, I, I was wor- worried if it was this kid's doing. But then I also found out that the person that died was your Uncle Ben. <gasps> oh no, he's dead again. It's, it 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 appears so. Yeah, this does sound a little bit familiar. You know, I was probably there for the funeral and stuff, but um, <laughs> yeah, Mets fever has really stolen your mind away from you. Well, uh, you know, I mean, this is what like a couple of years ago now, right? So um, things get forgotten, but who could forget Uncle Ben? Here's the thing. Okay, this is what happened. All right. So, um, I mean, Uncle Ben, come on, always giving back to the community. I mean, we, we heard about his, his mob ties, the beautiful ties that he crafted for the mafia. Uh, you know, he also donated them to charities and whatnot. So, uh, you know, always giving back to the community, signed up for Big Brother, Big Sister, or just Big Brother. Um, 
This, is there a big sister component still? I don't even know. Um, but he was a big brother, and they gave him this kid who was just a little bit of an alpha male. And this kid uh, just goes off the handle one day. You know, Uncle Ben decided to take him to uh, an airfield, uh, to an air show, you know, kind of like reliving, reliving the glory years of Hal Jordan and his father uh, from the Green Lantern universe. And uh, this, this kid like jumps into the cockpit of one of these planes and just, just starts flying and doing the loop the loops with them. I mean, yeah, I mean the kid could actually fly the plane pretty well. Um, did, he, and, did he shout, now this is pod racing? Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't there. Okay, um, all right. I mean, you know, maybe there's some cell phone footage. I mean, can we call that up on YouTube? I mean, we'll see if the links are working on Apple right now. Uh, get that YouTube video, Dan, right here. Anyway, um, so this kid's just flying the plane, and my poor uncle, uh, he just he just keels over, has a heart attack from the shock of the thing. Um, and it, I mean, it was really tragic. And and you know, fortunately, Spider Man ended up showing up and 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 got this kid to land the plane. And and you know, apparently the kid was going to get punished or something. But I guess I guess they kept him in the program for you. Um, but you know, the more important thing was, you know, as my uncle Ben was clutching his heart and going, why did this alpha male do this to me? He said, but there is a lesson to be learned from this with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. Welcome back, Mark, to all my techno babble. I know. It's, it's insider <laughs> baseball. It is sausage making at its finest. Yeah. C- come to our sausage making podcast. There you go.